Hey there, everybody, and welcome out to another episode of Redeemed Through His Blood. Scott Durfee here, joined as always by David Durfee. How are you, Dave? Yeah, I'm good. How many New Year's resolutions have you broken already? Uh, well, I, I haven't actually taken a, a detailed inventory, but uh, I'm sure there are more than one. I'm not even sure I said any anymore. Yeah, you know, well, I, yeah, we talked about that. I kind of like to review my life and review the past year, and, you know, I don't, I think goals are important, but. I don't know, New Year's resolutions are not one, one of my favorite things. Typically, that's how I am, too. But this year, it just so happened that there was some things, and there were some things in my life that had just gotten to the point where it's like, you know what, Scott, you need to, you need to tighten some stuff up. You need to do some things different. So it just happened to co- coincide yeah. with the new year. And, and, and uh, you know, and I, and I was grateful for that because, you know, January 1st came and I had a definitive start date. And, and so far, awesome. So far, so good. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I recently I, read uh, President Ballard, you know, talking about goals are the end and you need a plan to reach the goals. And, yeah. you know, he was so great on that. We miss him, don't we? We're oh, yeah. Gonna, yeah. Yeah. We're going to miss President Ballard. Yeah. Well, that, that was an important, but you know, I, I kind of have a business affinity. I mean, guys that are businessmen, and he was a great businessman. Yeah. You know, that's my background, yep. and that, uh, I, I just love the things that he said, not just about the church, but about business and stuff, too. Great mind. They all do, but great, great mind. Well, Dave, uh, last week we wrapped up uh, the second event of the Atonement, of, no, the third event of the Atonement of Jesus Christ in in, uh, in that we talked about the cross uh, and Christ's suffering on the cross. We're, today we're going to move beyond that and talk about the resurrection. Yeah, let's, re- let's just uh, quickly review those, you know, four events. We're, we're going to finish up the events maybe today. And then uh, the next uh, few podcasts after that, we'll talk about the effects. So the events and the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ, where we're at right now. But there were four basic events that make up what we call the atonement. The sinless life, Gethsemane, the cross, and today we'll speak about in more t- detail number four, his death and resurrection. And uh, I, I think I may have read this, but I want to just maybe reiterate it, Scott, uh, what uh, Elder Talmage, Elder McConkey. And our dear prophet, President Nelson, have have all taught, and it, it all started, I think, with Jesus the Christ, written by Elder Talmage uh, on page uh, 661 of Jesus the Christ. Uh, Elder Talmage says, speaking about the cross, On the cross, it seems that in addition to the fearful suffering incident to crucifixion, the agony of Gethsemane had recurred, intensified, intensified beyond human power to endure. In the bitterest hour, the dying Christ was alone, alone in most terrible reality, that the supreme sacrifice of the Son might be consummated in all its fullness. The Father seems to have withdrawn the support of his immediate presence, leaving to the Savior of man the glory of complete victory over the forces of sin and death, which are the two monsters or negative effects of the fall, sin and death. 
And uh, it's it's the cross where all of the atonement of Jesus Christ, or at least at least the suffering for our sins, was consummated. It started in Gethsemane. It was consummated on the cross, and on the cross it was Gethsemane intensified. That's the word uh, Elder McConkey uses as well as Elder Talmadge, and and here's our our living prophet uh, just a few years ago in October of 2018, he says, uh, speaking about the atonement, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, our Savior took upon himself every pain, every sin, all the anguish and suffering ever experienced by you and me and by everyone who has ever lived or will ever live. Under the weight of that excruciating burden, he bled from every pore. All of this suffering was intensified as he was crucified on Calvary's cross. So, again, the idea, uh, Gethsemane recurred intensified. All of this suffering was intensified on the cross. I, I I just hope that our listeners can think of the cross a little differently and get beyond uh, the what we put negative connotations sometimes on and when we see the cross we should actually think about Gethsemane intensified that's what we should think about when we see the cross and we should think about the atonement or at least the suffering part of the atonement um as being consummated on the cross. This is where he finally said at 3 p.m. on Good Friday, 2000, almost 2,000 years ago, when he said, it is finished. It was started in Gethsemane. It was finished on the cross. I just, uh, I just can't overstate, really, how important... Um, the cross is, and I know we read the scriptures about Jesus himself preferring, when he speaks of the atonement, he prefers to speak about the events on the cross. Um, so I, I, th- I think that we're ready to move on to the fourth event of the atonement of Jesus, which is his death and resurrection. Yeah. I, I'm, uh, I'm grateful, though, that we've spent the amount of time that we have focusing on the cross. This is, uh, as you have mentioned, you know, one of those things that uh, in our culture has been uh, something that maybe we have de-emphasized, I guess I could say, uh, you know, in the past. But I know that when uh, Deb and I, a couple of years ago, went to a, a French church on, and I think I've talked about this actually on on Palm Sunday, a Lutheran church, and they uh, had crosses, and they were actually had the palms, and uh, my friend Ray, his daughters, made little crosses out of those palms for us, and they just have such a deep reverence. Uh, I also got to witness one time, uh, actually, I, I didn't witness it, but he's told me about how they have this cross uh, on Easter, and you know, one of the things that the membership of that congregation do on Easter is they will approach the cross, and they will... Uh, pound nails in it themselves, you know, just to to think mm-hmm. about, you know, the 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 suffering that took place there for them. And Ray Ray tells me he says, you know, Scott, he says that's one of the most poignant experiences we have, 
in our church is when they, in their congregation, it's not a church-led thing, but in their congregation where they do that. And I, I have come to have that great reverence uh, as well for those things, Dave. Well, I, I think it's really sweet uh, what other churches do. And I, I, um, know, I know it's sincere, and I, I know they have faith in Jesus Christ. Um, but they also have kind of a, I think their focus may be more upon the nails and the crucifixion than it is upon the spiritual, emotional, mental anguish, this, really the spiritual suffering that occurred there because they, they, they certainly don't really understand what happened in Gethsemane. And they don't understand, um, I've said this before, but uh, Richard Ma, who was uh, the uh, president of the largest Protestant seminary in America, uh, came to our institute uh, and spoke to us there and uh, at UVU, Utah Valley University, and um, we read uh, we read with him in our faculty meeting before he spoke to our students. We had a faculty meeting with him, and we read Alma Seven that Jesus not only suffered. You know, I I asked him a question. I said, "Seems like to me, uh, Brother Ma, <laughs> Doctor Ma, that uh, one of the differences between your faith and our faith." your theology and our theology is that you believe in a uh, limited atonement, that is the I in the acronym TULIP, uh, or the L, the L in the acronym for TULIP, which is uh, based upon the beliefs of Calvinists, that you believe in a limited atonement, and we believe in an infinite atonement which is summarized, I think, uh, in Alma 7. And he says, I, Brother Durfee, I, I know what Alma 7 is. And, and he actually had a, he said, I have a copy of the Book of Mormon. And uh, I love those verses in Alma 7. And he says, I hope someday that we can believe them. He says, well, I, I don't believe that right now, but I hope that someday we can believe that. I, I love your concept of an infinite endowment. But they don't, they don't really understand that Jesus not only suffered for the sins of his disciples and those who choose to follow him, or even maybe as a Calvinist, those who are predestined to be saved. That's who they believe Jesus died for, is for those who are predestined to be saved. But as Latter-day Saints, Scott, thank God for the, uh, the Restoration and the Book of Mormon, we know that Jesus suffered for all the world, that not just for all the sins of all the world, but for all of the sicknesses, all of the suffering, all of the adversity of all the world. So as sweet as those Easter and crucifixion uh, traditions are in other churches, they have such a small really understanding of what Jesus really did on the cross. We should be so grateful and willing to share with the rest of the world, you know, what, what really happened on the cross. Anyway, uh, 3 p.m., uh, it is finished. Uh, the suffering is over. 
and uh, Jesus just simply whispers, and I'm grateful it was recorded by John, it is finished, and he yielded up the ghost, and he died. 3 p.m. on Friday afternoon. He's been on the cross for, for nine hours. So they have to hurry and bury him because their Sabbath begins at sundown on Friday. And th- thankful for Joseph of Arimathea who offers his his tomb. And, and uh, they hurry and bury him and uh, give him a proper Jewish burial. And he lies in the tomb beginning uh, Friday before the sun goes down on Friday. So he's in the tomb for part of Friday, all of Saturday, and we know by early Sunday morning that he comes forth out of the tomb and is resurrected, and the first mortal that he chooses to appear to is uh, Mary. Um, Maybe we should just say something again because, because the restoration, Scott, we... We're just so blessed to know something about what he did in that uh, 36 hours. We talk about him being dead for three days, but he he wasn't dead for 72 hours. He was dead for about half of that on three different days. I mean, he was dead on Friday, all day Saturday, and part of Sunday. But it wasn't three full days. It was probably like one and a half days in in the at least as you track time and hours but no one else knows what he was really doing during that time and we do and uh, it's just one of the great revelations that I'm grateful has been canonized in the doctrine and covenants section 138 of the doctrine and covenants in Joseph F Smith and the dream or vision that he had concerning Christ's visit to the spirit world. I, I'm, I know that, you know, he, he told the thief, today thou shalt uh, be with me in paradise, and there's all kinds of commentaries about that and what that meant, and I've uh, re-listened to some of those recently, and and they just don't really know what happened there, Scott. And in fact, um, even the best of the clergy, the, the, the most informed and educated uh, they don't really know what happens between, in the space between death and the resurrection. We do because of the Book of Mormon. Alma talks about it in Alma chapter 40. And then we have the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith and what he teaches us about the spirit world and, and the, uh, the work that's uh, being done among the, in the world of spirits, preaching of the gospel and the revelations on baptism for the dead and the letters that he wrote in Doctrine and Covenants, uh, section 124, section 128. Uh, anyway, we have so so much more information on that space between death and the resurrection. One of the great clergies of our time, really, I have so, so much respect for is uh, J.T. Wright, or Tom, Tom Wright, um, He's a great writer. I think he's written something like 70 books and on Christian theology. He was a Anglican bishop, and uh, but he's, uh, I think, back to teaching theology in St. Andrews, by the way, Scott. That's why. Oh, yeah. That's another reason why I love him so much. 
because he's in St. Andrews in Scotland. Did you look him up when you were there? And I wanted, I wanted to. Yeah. Wanted to run into him at the ice cream shop, but he never showed up. <laughs> Why the ice cream shop? Because <laughs> I hung out there a lot. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> Wasn't on the golf course. I was out at the ice cream shop. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, I I just have so much respect for him, and people can check him out on on uh, YouTube or whatever. He has a great faith, and uh, he um, he's a believer for sure, and. Uh, I I would love to uh, talk to him more sometime. And uh, when I see him in the spirit world, I'll say, well, now you know. Because, you know, he, he openly confesses that, you know, we really don't know about life after death before life after the resurrection. Mm-hmm. He calls it life after life after life, that we have life. And then he says, I believe we have life when we die, but we don't know anything about that. And then we have life after the resurrection. So he calls it life after life after life, and uh, I I'm I'm just going wow uh, who am I I'm nobody <laughs> I'm nobody and and I know more about what happens in the spirit world and after death than the greatest theologians that have ever lived on the earth just because I'm a member of the restored Church of Jesus Christ so I don't know. Um, what should we say about life after this life in that space of time between death and the resurrection? Well, that's that's a, a great opportunity for those uh, to hear the gospel. And, you know, and, and the cool thing about mm, that, one of the wonderful things about that time between when Jesus was crucified and before he was resurrected is that we know that he was taking the gospel to those who had passed before. And, right. and, and while he was there... It's recorded in Peter and yeah. other places, but they just don't understand it. Right. Well, I mean, with the clarity that the restoration has provided, we can more easily see those things written by Peter and so forth, right? And, right. But, you know, what a, what, a, what a neat thing, because, you know, I know, you know, there, there are a lot of us uh, of our ancestry, and there are a lot still today that, you know, will benefit from the teaching that goes on in the spirit world, and Christ started that. In, this, in the spirit world, you know, because Peter talks about that he went to preach to the spirits that are dead, and, and how does it read in, in 1 Peter, you know, three eighteen? How does that read, Scott? I mean, the, the Bible gives us some understanding, thankfully, because I think that some of these verses in the Bible are what led Joseph Smith to inquire more about it, including the scripture in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty nine. You know, what else shall they do that are baptized for the dead? If the dead not, rise not at all, why should they be baptized for the dead? Yeah. I mean, Paul uses that as evidence that there has to be a resurrection. If we're doing work for the dead, if we're baptizing for the dead and there were no resurrection, then why would we be baptizing for the dead? I know that that's a simple explanation of how we understand it, but other uh, clergy and theologians get so lost in that. Yeah, well, Paul thought it was a simple explanation, too. Yeah. I mean, he's, that, he, he wasn't saying, hey, guys, I want you to believe, we need to convince you to believe in life after death. That was a foregone conclusion, apparently. Yeah. The uh, problem here was resurrection. So he was saying, why are you baptizing them if you don't even believe they're going to rise from the dead? It right. wasn't about right. whether they're living after they're dead. It was if they're going to rise from the dead. It was a resurrection issue. Anyway. But... but Others don't uh, don't comprehend that, so I'm I'm grateful for the 
few verses that we do have that's been preserved in the in the Holy Bible. So this is First uh, Peter three, starting in verse eighteen. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit, by which he also went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient when once the longsuffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. Well, again, most uh, other... religions don't really know what that what that means and there's all kinds of different conjecture and commentary on on that passage of scripture and i'm just so thankful that peter felt impressed to record that and the effect that that had on living latter-day prophets prophet joseph smith inquired about it i know that that that's the passage that allowed joseph f smith he was reading that allowed joseph f smith to have his dream or vision about redemption for the dead. And this idea of redemption for the dead is completely unique to, to, uh, to our beliefs. And I, I'm just so grateful that we have that understanding, Scott, and that that's not a, a, a hole, a black hole that we don't uh, know what happened in during that space when Jesus died until the time he was resurrected. And if people want to know more about that, they need to go to Doctrine and Covenants and read section 138. And uh, we invite you to do that. And and then uh, what does he say in P- in his First Peter 4, 6? I just remember that from my missionary discussions 50 years ago. For for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the Spirit. So again, Peter gives us some idea, some glimpse of what Jesus was doing when he was dead and yet alive as a spirit in the spirit world before his resurrection. So he ordained missionaries, and missionaries went and began to preach to the spirits who were in prison. And uh, in the holy temples, we do vicarious work for those individuals and that's a, that's a sacred holy work, Scott, that I have just really been transforming, really, for me as I've been engaged in more depth uh, being in the temple 10, yeah. hours, 10 hours a week and for those that don't know, those ordinances. David has uh, been recently, within the last two or three months, been, uh, right? Yeah, two, two I, I guess I was really set apart in... April, but uh, didn't really start until ah, August. Okay, okay. Well, for the last several months, I guess time flies, but has been serving in the temple, uh, the uh, Saratoga Springs Temple, as a sealer. And I, you know, Scott, it's so sweet, and I feel the presence of God, angels, and witnesses, a term that we use in the temple. And I feel the presence of those angels, and I tell the people that we do the work for that in order for these individuals to exercise their agency what to whether to choose whether to uh, receive these ordinances or not they must witness it i don't know if they witness it live or if it's recorded somewhere that they can witness it when they're when they're better prepared but they will they either do or they will witness it and uh, that is really a sacred holy work and i feel that i I feel the power of that uh, 
performing those ordinances and and sometimes I, it has been confirmed by the Holy Spirit of individuals rejoicing, uh, receiving those ordinances in the temple. And uh, anyway, it's it's just a really sacred, holy work. And again, I said this too many times, but I guess you can't say it too many times. How grateful I am for the restoration of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we know what Jesus did and the importance of his mission, which he accomplished in the spirit world in the some 36 to 40 hours that he would have been in the spirit world after he died. Uh, anything more we should say about that uh, that period of time? I think that uh, we've probably said enough. I think that it's important that we do express gratitude. I know you have. I am now, too, uh, about that opportunity because, you know, there are just those that um, will pass uh, that uh, don't quite have what they need. And to know that those things that are taught, that Jesus taught there are still being taught there now uh, so that those ordinances can be uh, in in their behalf here, I, I think that's just a great thing for us to know. So I think it's good for us now that we can just go ahead and move into the resurrection. Okay, Dave. well, while you were talking, another verse came into my mind. So, uh, let, let you know, this should be probably read at every funeral. Uh, this is in Alma chapter 40. In Alma chapter 40, Alma had inquired. He's talking to Corianton, his wayward son. Then he's talking to his Corianton, and he's telling Corianton, hey, you need to know that there's life after death. I, th- I think that's really important. Maybe we don't talk about it enough with our families, our children, our grandchildren. There's life after death, and there's a time, there's a space between the time of death and the resurrection. He he talks about that openly to his wayward son, Corianton. And thankfully, it's been recorded in Alma chapter 40, really beginning with uh, with verse 9. Therefore there is a time appointed unto men that they shall rise from the dead, and there is a space between the time of death and the resurrection. And now concerning the space of time, what becometh of the souls of men is the thing which I have inquired diligently of the Lord to know, and this is the thing of which I do know. So, wow, here we go. We get a glimpse of a prophet who's inquired about the space of time between death and the resurrection. And uh, he gets an answer, verse 10, And when when the time cometh, when all shall rise, then shall they know that God knoweth all the times which are appointed unto men. Some great theology in that verse. Verse 11, Now concerning the state of the soul, between death and the resurrection, behold, it has been made known unto me by an angel that the spirits of all men as soon as they are departed from this mortal body, yea, the spirits of all men, whether they be good or evil, are taken home to that God who gave them life. And then shall it come to pass that the spirits of those who are righteous are received into a state of happiness, which is called paradise, a state of rest, a state of peace, where they shall rest from all their troubles and from all care and sorrow. And then shall it come to pass that the spirits of the wicked, yea, who are evil, for behold, they have no part or portion of the Spirit of the Lord. For behold, they chose evil works rather than good. Therefore the spirit of the devil did enter into them and take possession of their house, and these shall be cast out into outer darkness. 
it's kind of black and white in the scripture, Scott. It's kind of uh, uh, salvation or damnation in, in the Book of Mormon, their understanding of the plan, the way they teach it. And uh, But uh, it says, and I've heard, again, prophets and great teachers like Brother Matthews teach when it says they are taken home to that God who gave them life, does not mean that they enter back into his presence when they die, but they they are taken to a place where God, again, is present. I mean, God is present with us. God is present there, that, that they are taken to a place where where God can appear, where he can reside, or where he can be with them. But it's not the place we would think of as heaven where resurrected beings uh, dwell in the presence of God. So uh, they're taken to a, a place that we call the spirit world, and we don't know how that's all organized over there. We've had a few uh, saints uh, like Jedediah Grant, I love his description of the spirit world. He died and came back to life. And Jedediah Grant gives a rather detailed description of the world of spirits, uh, the colors and the organization and some of the plant life and the things that he witnessed in the spirit world, which was fantastic. And anyway, he gives something of a description of that in the Journal of Discourses, Volume 4. I can't remember what pages. And anyway, we've we've had others, you know, and I some of these are apocryphal, and I don't necessarily give them any a lot of uh, credibility about people who have died and come back to life. I I believe that can happen. I certainly don't doubt that. I I've, I've seen the movies and read some of the books, and certainly believe that's possible, and believe that there's parts of that that actually may be may be true, but I I don't know. I just will leave it at that, I guess. But we know, we know there is a spirit world. We know that, and we know that uh, that there is an organization there, and we know that people are being taught there, and they're being prepared there, and there the plan continues to be fulfilled there. All through, they're they're taught about Christ and redemption and the plan of salvation and exaltation. And anyway, I just think it's thrilling that that we know uh, 99.9% more about what happens uh, between the space of death and the resurrection than anyone else, Um, another precious part of the restoration. Well, uh, or sometime early in the morning on, on a first day of the week, which is why we celebrate Sunday on the first day of the week, which is our new Sabbath, the Jewish Sabbath was on on Friday night to Saturday night, but it became the first day of the week when Jesus was resurrected on the first day of the week, Sunday. Sometime early, he appears to Mary, and we have four gospel writers and the Apostle Paul over and over again who bear testimony of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting to compare each of the gospel writers and the points of doctrine that they choose to kind of focus on, and and the events, really, the events of it. The point of all of it is, it's it would be an interesting comparison, I think, for our listeners to make. Uh, they can go to the chronology gospel harmony 
and look at the chronologies and all the events that occur during the resurrection. But I think uh, Acts chapter 1, Scott, let's, uh, let's go to chapter 1 of Acts. Luke is writing this. This, this is Luke. Um, some people think he may have been one of the two on the road to Emmaus, since he's the only one who, who shares that experience, which is so important as a two individuals are eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, who eat with him. I, I just I want to point out that the gospel writers all make the point that he was physically resurrected. This is another point that there's so much confusion in the Christian world about Scott. I, I mean, some Christian Gnostics who believe that, that the body is actually evil, and that, that all led to the Nicene Creed. I mean, the Greeks and their Gnosticism and their whole thing about uh, the physicality or bodies are evil, and uh, we can't have a God who has a body. It all led to the Nicene Creed, which, which is why they believe God still doesn't have a body, and that uh, who knows what he did with his body. Um, I, I think really in, the, in their pure belief, they don't believe he was ever resurrected with a body, and that maybe somebody really did steal his body, or maybe the Christians even stole his body and hid it, but that he was resurrected in some other strange uh, spiritual form where he, he could do things. But anyway, the point is, we believe, we know that he has a body of flesh and bone. That's the revelation, and we have many witnesses of that. And, and they are, there are many witnesses of that in the Bible, Scott, that he appeared to 500 at once, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians. But in, in chapter um, 1 of Acts, he talks about the infallible, the infallible proofs. It's uh, in the first few verses, I think, Scott. So um, let's start with verse 3. You want to read? Yeah, so... Acts um, chapter 1, verse 3. Yeah, so uh, he's talking about Jesus here, right? He's writing to uh, Theophilus, and he says to, again, referring to Jesus, to whom he also showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. 40 days. Yeah. Infallible proofs. Many infallible proofs of the physical, those are my words, physical resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have so many witnesses. We, we know that, that Mary, uh, I know it's recorded in, in John when, she's, when Jesus says, touch me not, but in the Joseph Smith translation it says, hold me not. That, that Mary was holding Jesus, that there was a physical body there for her to hold, and she, she held him, and he says, hold me not. I have not yet ascended, and he, he's got to go see his father. Even it's, That's so significant to me that he chooses to see Mary before he sees his father. But he, he, uh, he goes to his father after Mary has held him, and then he... Luke records that he eats he eats fish and honeycomb, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. In Luke twenty four, we have. I, I mean, it's just it just seems to me, and and I know this is through the 
through the lens or the the prism, the the the, the glasses that I see the resurrection is through the the doctrine of uh, the restoration. It's so obvious that he has a physical body, Scott, and he ministers with him for 40 days. Uh, anyway, I we have so much physical evidence of his physical bodily resurrection in the Bible and even more so uh, in the Book of Mormon. And uh, maybe we can turn to some of those. And I mean, it gets pretty, pretty specific in the Book of Mormon. We we have uh, Paul talks about the resurrection, right? Uh, in fact, let's do this before we turn to the Book of Mormon, Scott. Uh, I want to read First Corinthians fifteen. Uh, let's just talk about how the resurrection itself is kind of the keystone of Christianity. I know we talk about the Book of Mormon be the keystone of our religion, meaning the you know, the restoration. But really, when it comes to Christianity, the resurrection has been called the keystone of Christianity. And here's why. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this amazing um, letter written to the people of Corinth, and Paul's trying to bear his witness of the bodily resurrection of Jesus, and he, uh, he talks about in verse 6, after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. I mean, there must have been some priesthood meeting up in Galilee where he appeared to 500 brethren at once. Uh, I don't know what, we don't know, have any more detail about that. But he goes on and he says, if there be no resurrection, verse 13, Scott, verse 13 and 14, if you want to read those. Verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ, then is Christ not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain? Okay, now go down to 16 and 17. For if the dead rise not at all, then is not Christ raised? And if Christ is not raised, your faith is in vain. Ye are yet in your sins. If Christ hasn't been resurrected... You're still in your sins. Then what the heck are we doing? Yeah. Our faith's in vain. Yeah. If he's not resurrected, if he's not alive, then what? It's we're just wasting our time. Uh, we're just uh, chasing a myth. I mean, it all comes down to this, Scott. Uh, it all comes down to Jesus Christ, him crucified and resurrected. Um, if he's not resurrected, then it's... It's just all in vain, according to Paul. And then Paul bears a powerful testimony, I think, in uh, verses 20 through 22, Scott. You want to read those? Or even 23. Yeah. Uh, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, that's verse 23, but every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. So there's an order to the resurrection, Scott. This is the first kind of place in the scriptures where we we see that there's kind of an order and that it's important, I think, to understand that order. And we kind of have a unique phrase in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints 
where we talk about the morning of the first resurrection. And I'd like to try to explain that a little bit, the order of the resurrection. Um, But before we do that, let's still try to make the case and give the evidence of the bodily resurrection of, of Jesus, Scott. So in I think uh, we have, four, well, all the prophets in the Book of Mormon bear testimony of the resurrection divinity of Jesus Christ and uh, that he would come back from the dead and, and live again and take his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. Uh, so all the prophets bear testimony of that. But I think my, uh, the favorite, most detailed examples of uh, witnesses and the teachings of the resurrection are contained in in Second uh, Nephi chapter nine. Jacob's unbelievable, inspired, uh, sweet uh, discourse on the resurrection. That if it weren't for the resurrection, we'd all become sons and daughters of Satan. Uh, you know that, that if it weren't for the resurrection, and we didn't get our bodies back. There's something about the body, Scott, that gives us power over Satan, and we all we know we, in the in the gospel of Jesus Christ that, and in fact, all Christians I think understand this that Satan doesn't have a body, and that was his great punishment, that he wouldn't have a body, and he and he won't get a body, and that because we do have a body, and that we will be resurrected with a body that we it gives us some power over Satan. You know, that's in uh, Second to Nephi chapter 9, Jacob's Discourse, verses like 8 and 9, right, Scott? Yes, uh, 7, 8, 9. Uh, we've read those, I think, before, but others can check those out. If it weren't for the resurrection, if we, if we weren't resurrected, we'd all become sons of, of the devil. How does it say it? Well, yeah, and in, in, in verse 7, it actually talks about why it needs to be an infinite atonement, right? In other words, touching everybody, all of us. Um, uh, let me just read it, 7 through 9 uh, of Second uh, Nephi 9. Wherefore, it must needs to be an infinite atonement. Save it should be an infinite atonement. This corruption not c- could not put on incorruption. Wherefore, the first judgment which came upon man must have needs to remained in an endless duration. And if so, this flesh, here it is, and if so, this flesh must have laid down to rot and to crumble to its mother earth to rise no more. In verse 8, O the wisdom of God, his mercy and grace. For behold, if the flesh should rise no more, our spirits must become subject to the angel who fell from before the presence of the eternal God and became the devil to rise no more. And our spirits must have become like unto him, and we become devils, angels to a devil, to be shut out from the presence of our God and to remain with the father of lies in misery like unto himself. Yea, to that being who beguiled our first parents, who transformeth himself nigh unto an angel of light, and stirreth up the children of men unto secret combinations of murder and all manner of secret works of darkness. Mm. Angels to the devil. Yeah. If yeah, it in, for a bodily resurrection. In verse 8, it says, All the wisdom of God, his mercy and grace. And then there's an exclamation point again. Yeah. You know, I, I think that, uh, you know, there's... there's uh, Heavenly Father just putting that exclamation point on, guys, get how important this is. This is important. Well, that's one of the great, Jacob's one of the really great theologians and uh, gives us quite a doctrinal discourse on the resurrection in Second Nephi 9. And uh, 
It talks about uh, how everyone will be resurrected, the merciful plan of God, and we'll all die and we'll all be resurrected. That's another point that I think all other Christian churches are confused about and disagree on, Scott, is they, they, they're not really sure if everyone's going to be resurrected or not. I mean, many just outright do not believe that. We know that everyone, including sons of perdition, will be resurrected. Not only all people will be resurrected, but all animals will be resurrected. We believe that everything that is alive that has a spirit will be resurrected, Scott, to a physical, bodily form. And that could include insects and, and plants and everything else. I don't know all of that, but we know that anything that had a spirit and anything that lived on this earth, because of Jesus Christ, he covers them too. I mean, when we talk about the infinite atonement, I usually say it covers all mankind. Well, it, it includes the animal kingdom, not just all mankind. Uh, all of the dogs that you've loved and horses. all the horses that yeah. you've had to put down and yeah. all, of, all of that, Scott, is all of that's covered by the resurrection. I just think that's really a, a really special precious, uh, priceless doctrine. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And, you know, I, I often fantasize that, you know, just a couple of years ago. And, you know, this isn't the point of the podcast, but there is comfort even in our uh, those things that may seem trite to the rest of the world, you know, but there is comfort in the, through the atonement of Jesus Christ in that I had to put a, one of my favorite horses down just a few years ago, and I still, I still am sad about it. Yeah, you know, I, yeah. I, I still grieve that. And what was his name? His name was Rio. Rio. Yeah, he was a, an Arabian um, gelding that uh, we raised from a baby, and uh, he got colic, and we had to put him down. He just mm. at fifty, he was fifteen years old. Well, a beautiful gray white uh, Arabian mm. gelding. Yeah, but anyway, th- those those things uh, those things uh, add comfort, and I think this is one of the things where you know when we talk about the atonement of Jesus Christ and how. Through the atonement, and, you know, the resurrection is one of the events, right? So let's not forget that. It's, you know, I think sometimes we, we just mistakenly, when we hear the atonement of Jesus Christ, we just think about how that applies to sin. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about it. It's in its completion, right, in the entirety of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And I think that there's that and so many other little tender mercies that can come to us when we become aware and aligned with the teachings and the spirit behind the atonement of Jesus Christ. And, and that's one of those for me, for sure. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, it's a little sad, uh, Scott, to me. Um, seems like the older you get, the more funerals you go to. Yeah, there's a reason <laughs> you know for what that. I mean? Yeah, I do. And the more funerals I go to, I'm, I'm more aware that uh, oftentimes people talk about individuals going back to the presence of God and then that they've been, you know, saved by God or redeemed by God or that, the, you know, all of that. But they never use the word resurrection. Yeah. And I, and I think somebody needs to, I, I, in fact, I love the tradition of the Anglican church. They have a tradition of uh, their saints when they, um, have a an Anglican funeral, um, they will repeat as they're taking the body into the sanctuary, uh, they'll repeat uh, John 
uh, I am the resurrection and the life, and oh, yeah. and they'll 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 kind of do a a cantation on that verse over and over again as they're. I just think it's so important that we use the word resurrection and that as Latter-day Saints, when we use it, we're thinking of a bodily resurrection and it's literal and that people will come forth out of the grave. Um, I My sweet son-in-law uh, lost his father recently and his his dad has had his challenges throughout his life, even though he was raised in the church. He's uh, been a little bit on and off and decided that he wanted to be cremated. I don't know if he decided that or his wife decided that who's convert to the church. And I, I, that's fine. That's fine. I know, I know, I know he'll be resurrected, but if you believe in a bodily resurrection, I, I'm not sure why one would choose cremation. Um, and we don't have time for this today. Maybe another time, but the Prophet Joseph Smith taught in Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, volume compiled by Joseph Fielding Smith, that there's a fundamental principle of everybody's body. I think what he was really describing, the Prophet Joseph Smith, was DNA. And one's DNA will be preserved. I don't think you can completely destroy DNA. You know, you can get it off a, what, a, a cup that you drink, or you can get it off of so many things, right? There are DNA and that everyone has a unique DNA. I mean, this is kind of the, uh, what, this, I don't know what scientist, I'm not a scientist, but I think what Joe Smith was, was really describing was an individual's unique DNA, and everyone has that, and God, that's how the resurrection will, will occur, is, is that the regeneration, uh, recreation of uh, DNA. I mean, Scott, the resurrection is... Just think about that miracle for a minute. I mean, I know we we see the creation as a miracle. Think about the creation of animals and all the life on the earth and Adam and Eve, right? And we see that as an amazing miracle. And then once God has created the earth and Adam and Eve are created, then they biologically reproduce and animals reproduce. And we kind of, we, we see that as a miracle too, right? And it is. So it's a profound, sacred miracle. But can you imagine the miracle of the resurrection? People coming forth out of the grave. Yeah, I, 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 maybe this is one reason why people don't believe it is because it's too hard for them to believe. It goes way beyond anything that they've co- they could comprehend. But there's going to be a physical resurrection. A body, and I, this is, so I was talking about Jacob is one witness. Abinadi, he talks about the resurrection in detail. He talks about the first resurrection, gives us the idea that there's a certain order and there's a first resurrection. If there's a first resurrection, there's a second resurrection. John calls it the resurrection of the just and the unjust in John chapter 5. And, and so we kind of have this order. And Abinadi talks about that in Mosiah chapter 15, 16. Then we have Abinadi's great witness of the resurrection, which no doubt he has learned from Alma the Younger in their, in their discussions as missionary companions. Listen, listen to what he says here. 
uh, this, the spirit and the body, this is uh, the resurrection, the spirit and the body shall be reunited again in its perfect form. Limb and joint shall be restored to its proper frame, even as we now are at this time. And we shall be brought to stand before God, knowing even as we know now, and have a bright recollection of all our guilt. Now this restoration shall come to all, both old and young, bond and free, male and female, both the wicked and the righteous. And even there shall not so much as a hair of their heads be lost, but everything shall be restored to its perfect frame as it, as it is now or in the body and shall be brought and be arraigned before the bar of Christ, the Son of God the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Well, What's the reference on that one more time? That's Alma chapter 11, 43 and 44. I mean, it can't get more plain or simple than that, or definitive than that. We believe in a bodily resurrection. Both limb, joint, hair of your head. Everything will be made perfect. Yeah, as it, as it is now in perfect form. Anyway, and then and then we have Alma himself bearing testimony of the resurrection in Alma chapter 40, and uh, it goes on through the Book of Mormon. I think the greatest evidence of a bodily, physical resurrection, uh, especially of Jesus Christ, is 3 Nephi chapter 11, right? Uh, he appears to 2,500 people, and they feel, they feel the prince. They thrust their hand into his side. They... They feel the physical body of Jesus Christ. That is important to him, that they, they become eyewitnesses of his physical resurrection. And I believe that we'll have that same, that same opportunity, Scott. So uh, thank, thankful, so thankful for the restoration of the fullness of the gospel of Christ, that we believe in the literal resurrection bodily physical resurrection of jesus christ that the soul of man is the spirit reunited with the body and uh, that we will all be resurrected all mankind all living things will be restored in its perfect form or frame uh we'll talk more about the judgment what comes after the resurrection and Probably in the next podcast, Scott, we will talk. Let's talk about the order of the resurrection. The first resurrection, morning and evening of, a term which is unique to, I think, our theology. And uh, second resurrection, morning and evening of the second resurrection. So we'll talk maybe more about that uh, uh, next week. As we go through this week, our invitation will be for us to start to contemplate and just wonder and even search the Scriptures, make it a prayerful meditation perhaps. But why is this important for me? Why, you know, we've talked about, you know, in a general sense, why these things are important. But why are these things important to you individually? And we will have individual reasons that why these tender mercies, why these instruments of grace, why this uh, other 
pillar of the atonement of Jesus Christ is so important to us, uh, as well as the other ones. You know, it's easy, I think, for me to contemplate Gethsemane. It's even easier for me sometimes to comp- contemplate the cross than maybe the resurrection. But th- let's think about that. We'll talk about it again more next week. But in, in the meantime, between now and then, let's think about that, especially, and again, as I say every week, as we partake of the sacrament, maybe we consider the things that we've talked about today, why they're so important to us, and how they should apply in our lives. Thanks, everybody, for being with us. We look forward to being with you again next week, and until then, be well.